Let's go down memory lane. Think back to your childhood. What were your dreams? How did you see your life playing out before the realities of adulthood set in? How many of those dreams came true? Good morning. I'm George Boraki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. This morning, we're talking about childhood dreams relived and realized. Doreen Rainey is a business coach, speaker, and consultant. She says taking a step back and thinking about what you wanted as a kid is an important exercise for adults. She joins us now on the phone. Good morning, Doreen. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Now, you recently decided to take stock of your childhood dreams and see how they played out in your life. What prompted you to carry out that exercise? Well, you know, it's funny. I was actually looking through some old pictures that I had come across and from junior high school and high school, and it got me thinking about, you know, at that time in my life, what I thought my future would be like, what I thought the rest of my life would look like, and it got me reflecting on some of those dreams that I had. How close did you come to living out your dreams? Well, you know, it's funny because I do believe I'm living my dreams for the most part, but they're not that related to what I dreamed as a child. But in a good sense, though, I think I was excited about what was possible, and I still live that way. I think about my childhood dreams of um, being a model, being a supermodel was one of my dreams. And in the work that I do, I had the opportunity to do photo shoots and television interviews and things like that. So I get to play dress up and get to have styling and hair and makeup. So I'm living that, but just in a different way. Why do you think an exercise like that is important to look back on what you hope to become and look at the reality today? I think it's important because you want to kind of give yourself a gut check. You want to see, are you living authentically? Are you living fulfilled? Are you living with joy? And as adults, sometimes we can lose track of the direction that we really want to take because we've been bogged down by, you know, our job and our family and our mortgages and our bills. And sometimes it's great to just take a step back and say, hey, am I heading in the direction of my dreams? What did I want when I was younger? What did I see my life being like? And is it time for me to take stock? Is it time for me to change course? Or is it time for me to do more of what I'm already doing? So never too late. Never too late. Never, ever, ever too late. (laughs) Why do you think it is, Doreen, that a lot of us never fulfill our childhood dreams? I think it's because we don't really put together a real plan and a strategy. I think when we're young, we don't even know that we're supposed to have it. And then as an adult, we kind of forget that we think, oh, well, it's just not going to happen. But I think if we actually say, how can I move myself from point A to point B? If I were to live out this dream, what would I do today? What would I do next week? What would I do a month from now? And when we begin to take those little steps those little significant shifts, we might find ourselves on that path to actually creating and living out the dreams that we have. All right. Dream big, right, Doreen? Yes, absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank you. Doreen Rainey is a business coach, speaker, and consultant. She's online at DoreenRainey.com. That's Rainey spelled R-A-I-N-E-Y. We now hear from someone who's living out her childhood dream. Jennifer Whalen decided at a young age that she wanted to become a professional ballet dancer. 
Her determination got her a spot as a dancer with the American Ballet Theater Company here in New York City. She now travels the world on tour with ABT. She's with me now on the phone. Jennifer, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. Oh, thank you. How long have you been a professional ballet dancer? I've been a professional ballet dancer since I was 14, and I am 28. So you were 14 when you became a professional ballet dancer, but when did you realize that you actually wanted to do that for a living? I was about 10, and I said to my parents, I'm not going to college, um, I'm not going to have a what I call a, a somewhat normal job or life, and this is what I want to do, and I did it. That's a pretty bold declaration for a 10-year-old. Yes, well, I was very strong-willed as a child, and I still am. (laughs) So how did you get there in just four short years? You were 14, you said. Yes, but I started dancing when I was seven. And, you know, at 10 years old, that's when I made the decision that I wanted to be a professional. But before that, you know, I just seriously wanted to try it. You know, it was a lot of hard work. And I had only been training a couple of times a week at seven. So progressively, the training became more intense. And my ballet teacher started to tell me about her life as a dancer in Germany. And, you know, it was just so um, appealing to me, just the costumes and the traveling. And it just seemed very glamorous to me. And doing something that you loved and you were passionate about, I thought, well, that's what I want to do. Well, it sounds like you had the full support of your parents. Yes, I did. I did. I'm very lucky I was adopted, and I'm an only child, and they've always supported me in all of my decisions. And moving to New York at 17, they were supportive of that. You know, doing homeschooling um, for high school, finishing school early, going away at 11 years old to a summer program, um, going out of the country and training. They've always been very open to it. As you mentioned, you were adopted. You were born in South Korea, adopted by a family in California. How, if at all, did that shape your aspirations, do you think, Jennifer? You know, I've always considered myself very lucky, of course, because I was actually put into an orphanage when I was very, very young. And I've always felt like, you know, I've been given such great opportunity and I'm so grateful for everything that I just have to take all the opportunities that come my way. What was that first professional opportunity before you when you were 14 years old? Um, That was dancing with State Street Ballet in Santa Barbara at Soul Barrow Theater, actually. And... It was so cool, you know, to finally be getting paid for what I love to do. I mean, you can't really ask for more than that. Once I got a taste of that, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely, definitely, you know, in it to win it. And then, um, you know, I did competitions, and the director of American Ballet Theater saw me, and then I was offered a contract with ABT. They also had a second company at the time who offered me a contract, the director of the second company, known as ABT2. But, you know, I I was lucky and I got into the main company right away. A lot of people, Jennifer, as you know, have childhood dreams, but veer off course. They never achieve them. Do you see yourself as a role model 
for other young girls out there who have these similar dreams? Um, yes, in, in some ways. I, I view myself as the role model. I mean, of course, I'm my hardest critic. I'm, you know, very, very hard on myself, and um, I'm a perfectionist. But I think the whole, you know, the work hard, play hard mentality, I, I would definitely say that that's something for kids to look up to in the ballet world. Jennifer Whalen, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Jennifer Whalen is a senior member of the American Ballet Theater Company based right here in New York City. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Borarki. This morning, we're talking about childhood dreams, relived and realized. When I was a kid, Hot Wheels and Viewfinders were staples of my toy collection, not to mention Star Wars action figures. Today, anyone who wants to bring some of their favorite childhood toys back into their lives can turn to Jellio. They create home furnishings based on childhood memories, including a table that looks like a Rubik's Cube and a headboard that looks like a lollipop. I recently talked with Jellio's founder at his showroom in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. My name is Mario Marsicano. I am the founder and owner of Jellio Design. Now, first of all, the name Jellio, where does that come from? It's my college nickname. How did you earn the name Jellio? It's a long, uh, embarrassing story. Uh, everyone asks it, and I never tell it. <laughs> okay, I won't pry then. But it fits so perfectly for what you do, though. The name Jellio just goes right along, I think, with what you produce. I, I uh, thank you, and I agree. Um, the idea for Jellio came uh, in 2003, and uh, after all the nonsense names uh, like Google, Yahoo, etc., uh, it seemed like, um, fine, why not Jellio? And our, our uh, furnishings are, are fun and unique, and so is the name, and the URL was available. Now, how did it strike you, though, to create furnishings based on childhood memories? Mm-hmm. Since uh, I was a young adult in my 20s, uh, I collect um, antique toys, mostly from the 70s decade when I was a child. My favorites were things like the... Uh, the Evil Knievel Stunt Cycle and Rock'em Sock'em Robots. And uh, over the decades, uh, I amassed uh, rooms full of, full of these uh, items. Um, after a point, you don't want to just put them in the corner uh, gathering dust, so I started showing them off. I started uh, um, having glass cubes made, putting them in the cubes and using them as tables, and then uh, creating other furnishings as well. When enough people tell you that they uh, would like it if you'd make the same thing for them, you think there's an idea there, Um, the idea of surrounding yourself with something from your childhood. Now, since then, a lot of ideas have come to mind. We're sitting right now in your showroom with so many different things here, including ice cream cone seating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, we have uh, about a 20-page list of items that we still want to make. The genre of just uh, childhood memories um, is kind of endless. Um, I'm sure at some point we'll run out of things from the 70s and early 80s and then just move on. But, uh, um, yeah, anything that really uh, made, um, was really important to me from childhood, if I can, if I can combine it with some sort of furnishing, uh, then you have an idea there. What are some of the other things that you've made? When we started, um, the Rubik's Cube table um, was uh, 
it, it just amazed us how, how successful that was. We found um, that there are different uh, pockets of society that are incredibly uh, fanatic, uh, fanatical about certain things. Rubik's Cubes is one of them. Uh, gummy bears, it, there's another uh, huge uh, population of gummy bear fanatics out there. Cupcakes, there's a huge market uh, for those people. So um, uh, they're not all winners. We've made some things that uh, were important to my childhood, not so much to everyone else. Such as? Uh, the candelier was something we came out with. Pardon me, not the candelier. Uh, the candelier has done quite well. I'll, I'll speak about that in a second. The plandelabra, um, balsa wood planes. You can see there's an item back on the wall over there. There were the planes that um, you would buy for under a dollar, and you were lucky if they lasted half an hour. I remember them well. Yes, yes. Uh, but they were one of my favorite toys. Um, we made a candelabra in acrylic uh, where the, the wings held the, uh, the candles. We sold all of one of those. So um, you really have to find something that has mass appeal, uh, things like the, the cupcakes and Rubik's Cubes, things like that. You mentioned the candelier. Now that's based on gummy bears, right? That is correct, yeah. Um, our third partner, Kevin Champany, he makes that piece by hand, about uh, 15,000 acrylic gummy bears strung in the shape of a globe. There's a giant gummy bear behind you right here, almost as tall as I am. Yep, that's called the Gummy King. We've made a lot of gummy bear products. Um, mostly retailers uh, purchase those, but I've had some that have gone into kids' rooms. We just made a series of six footers, uh, and the client for that, a, uh, a candy store chain in the Midwest called Lolly and Pops, uh, they asked us to make a six-foot version and gild it so it's got actual gold leaf all over it. So. How do you come up with the ideas? Do you and your partner just sit around and think about growing up and what you remember from those years? Yeah, every so often um, we'll just get together over cocktails usually. and uh, Yes, that helps. Because it, it definitely helps. Uh, and uh, we uh, each present our own ideas and we're honest with each other. You know, that's great. That's kind of lame. Uh, or that has, uh, that has a lot of appeal. Let's go with that one. Did you test the market before you went into the business knowing that people, you, you're shaking your head no? <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd like to say I was that smart, but no. Uh, it started as a hobby, so there was no, uh, uh, no, um, you know, no downside. Um, I come from about 15 years in advertising, so I didn't jump ship from my ad agency until 2008. Uh, we started Jellio as a hobby in 2004. Um, just wanted to you know, play around with it, see if anyone... Uh, uh, took notice of it, and enough people did to where I was, uh, was um, comfortable with uh, making it my, my day job. At least a few of your customers are major corporations, right? That is correct. Uh, first uh, corporate client in 2006 was Sony. Um, they were having a, uh, a launch party for their PlayStation 3, and their print campaign at the time uh, was a series of toys from the 70s looking at the Sony PlayStation in awe, and one of the toys was a Rubik's Cube whose colors had faded because it was so uh, in awe of the, of, the, of the PlayStation. So we made a bunch of these Rubik's Cubes for their party. After that, Google, the U.S. Army, believe it or not, um, Marriott. Yeah, a lot of people, uh, anyone targeting a family audience uh, that has found us, um, uh, yeah, we've worked with. Now, as far as your private clients, are they individuals who just want to relive their childhoods with this furniture, or do they buy them for their kids, or a combination of the two? We started Jellio for adults, uh, adults that wanted to surround themselves with uh, something from their childhood. 
when Nickelodeon found us and placed us on a number of uh, their shows, um, that's when kids really found us. Uh, so now it's uh, probably more kids than adults. A lot of, a lot of parents uh, buying for their children, etc. What do you think it is that just makes us feel good to be surrounded by this kind of thing? It's your childhood. Um, it's, a, it's a safe uh, memory. Um, I still collect toys, and I found this really dumb little magnet toy that I used to have. And the minute I saw it online, I was like, oh, my God. And you just get this wave of, you know, every memory associated with that toy. Um, and that's why people dig our stuff, I think. What's involved with manufacturing cupcake seats and ice cream cone seats and all of this kind of thing? That's where uh, my partner that I have here uh, with me, Eric Winston, comes in. It's tough, i got to tell you. Manufacturing is, is still something I haven't cracked. The setup involved in certain pieces, creating the mold for a cupcake seat, etc., is such a heavy upfront cost. You really have to get into the thousands uh, to where you can bring the cost down to uh, hundreds or thousands, uh, where you can bring the cost down to where it's economically feasible for a family. That's why in this Brooklyn showroom, we created a partnership with a company called 32 Square. They have the uh, capabilities right here. Um, we work together on the design of items, and, uh, and we're able to lower the cost that way. Eric, talk about your involvement with Jellio. Um, Mario came to me a couple years ago on a project for Marriott, and we started working on a few projects together, some pretty wild stuff and some cool stuff over the, you know, for commercial projects. And then over time, we just started to sit down and started talking, and then Mario had said to me, I've got these, all these things that I've always wanted to build. What do you say we talk about it? And we're working on another large project together, and the idea was, well, let's play around with some of these large items, and then we can start prototyping and come up with some concepts for another large project we're working on together, and hence this happened. Mario would show up at any given time. My office, he said before, his apartment is full of toys. Well, amazingly, my office upstairs has a ton of toys, because Mario would just come in with a little claw and say, so what if we take this claw and make it into something? And it's like, okay. So we'd sit back, talk for a while about it, and it's like, and then in this case, it turned out, hey, let's do a chandelier. So he simply said, let's do a chandelier with something like this, and then he left. So then I sat down and went, worked with my people, and we came up with an idea. We drew it up, played around with it, went back to Mario, and then the two of us sat down, and it was like, well, this works, but how about if we change this or do this? Then we, you know, fine-tuned it, and then we, then I came up with a way to build it. We built it. And there it is, right here in this room. Exactly, and it looks fantastic. But that happened with every piece, and that's what the cool thing of working with Joeo is. They come, and it's like, hey, um, like a whirly, like the table over here. What do you say we make that into something? And then we took something that was 10 inches long originally and made it into a six-foot table. And there's a lot involved with it, but it's fun. You know, what we do normally is not as fun, so working on these projects really give us something different. What do you do normally? How different is it? Um, we're, we have a 32 Square is a furniture company, and we do um, a lot of custom pieces um, working based on 32 squares, the, number, the square feet, and a sheet of plywood. So a lot of the stuff we do is based on trying to come up with a piece of furniture based on one sheet of material. 
So it's a lot of work to come up with something that fits and from chairs to tables to lamps and everything in between. And then that also leads into, I have another company, which is a fabrication company for uh, scenic fabrication for theater and television. So we build a lot of really cool things for that. But working with the Jellios, and that's where Mario and I originally met, working on a couple large projects that way. And 32, my company, 32 Square, formed out of the partnership with Mario, and that I needed something to go away from the fabrication and go purely into the design side. So that's where 32 Square came up pretty much through because of Joey O. Yeah. Want to add on to that, Mario? Yeah, a couple things. One, um, I, I've, I've told everyone, I've made no bones about it, I don't have one design degree or production degree. Uh, so that's where it helps to bring in experts. Um, I'm the guy that says, hey, can we make an ice cream sandwich into a bench? That's what I do. <laughs> and then uh, people tell me how crazy I am or, yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, you know what I was thinking about when we talked about items? Uh, the uh, battleship. Light. <laughs> I wanted to make a, uh, a uh, wall light slash piece of sculpture uh, based on the board game Battleship. You sunk my Battleship. Exactly, exactly. And it would be huge on a wall, and when you put the boat in, that's when it would light up. And Eric thought it was a great idea. Do you think someone has $100,000 to pay for it? Exactly. You know, Mario <laughs> didn't realize it would be, and I'm like, you know, you're looking at $100,000 for that. <laughs> and it was like, so let's find a client. That will pay that, and then we'll build it. You know, has that been built? I mean, this was just a couple months ago. Okay, so, yeah, it hasn't happened. Yet. Still looking for the client. Yeah, so yeah. if you're listening right now and you want that <laughs> battleship light, we're here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I mean, I think the greatest part about this is for us is we wind up building some of the coolest stuff around for no reason, and that's what's nice about it. You know, you're sitting in a room with a giant log cabin chair. That you know, for us, it was also a test piece. We're, we've got a lot of high-end furniture coming for an event, for a project. So the log cabin chair for us also became a testing materials for durability and things like that. The chair wound up being a really awesome piece that we hope to produce um, and manufacture, and that's the other thing. You know, right now, everything's manufactured here in Brooklyn. We do everything in-house, and our goal is with some of these pieces, after we prototype them like this, is to start marketing them and then getting them to a cost that... Joe Average can afford to buy it because most of the stuff we do in this room is not cheap because there's a lot of work involved and when you see a finished product that's usually 30 to 60 days of intense from brain work to physical work on it to get it to from concept. As Eric says, a lot of the pieces in this showroom are cost prohibitive for people. But uh, we've just had the idea and I've wanted to do it for a while because people have asked, but Jellio Rentals. So birthday parties, weddings, things like that. Um, we think that's a, a great way to have more people be able to afford our items for just one event or, or uh, a special occasion. Right, because a cupcake seat can go for, what, like $900 or something like that, right? That is correct, yeah. The, uh, the, the prototyping, especially on that, that was a geometric nightmare, to be quite honest, to come up with that. You wouldn't think it, but it is. So, um, yeah, that's expensive, I realize. Um, but uh, a lot of people, for instance, have come to me saying they want a candy-themed wedding. And to have two of those at the entrance to the church, um, we think rentals could be the way to go. Mario, thanks so much. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Eric, thank you. Thank you. Mario Marsicano is the owner and founder of Jellio, 
Eric Winston is Jellio's production partner. He owns 32 Square, which houses the Jellio Design Lab in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. You can learn more about Jellio and check out their creations at jellio.com. As we've been saying, one of the things we often lose sight of in adulthood are the things we wished for as kids. Performing artist Leah McGowan addresses this topic in a play to remind people of what their dreams were before they had to deal with bills, college debt, and the criticism of others. It's called Now Leasing. Leah joins us on the phone now from Edinburgh. Leah, good morning. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Now, you are an acrobat, an actress, advocate, aerialist, artist, ballerina, choreographer, contortionist, comedian, costume designer, creator, and dancer. Wow, I don't know how that fits on a business card. But let me ask you this question, that's Leah. Only, that's only up to letter D. Oh, is that right? It continues. <laughs> that's, not, that's not all of the letters of wow. the alphabet. And that's true. We are not enough all the characters. Well, let me ask you this question. Did you aspire to be a performer? Yes. About the age of five, I was inspired to be a performer. But I think what I've realized is that that's something that's innate within me. Well, not everyone who aspires to be something as a kid actually goes on to do that, but you managed to do that. Yes. How would you say you achieved your childhood dream there to be a performer? Well, it's been a long journey. Now I've been performing my solo woman show, which I feel is the ultimate statement for me as an artist in saying, yes, here I am living out my childhood dream. This show is the one called Uh, Now Leasing, right? Yes. Tell us about this show. When I was five, I went and saw my first ballet and got tingly all over and thought, I want to do that. And I have the image of the ballerina in my mind. And I've pursued that and become that. And realizing it actually was during a live performance, I saw this little five-year-old girl. I was performing in Asia. And the little girl was mirroring me in the movements I was doing. And I realized, oh my gosh, I saw myself. And And I realized oh, I'm doing my dream. (laughs) It's come about in a different form, and I think over the years it's also expanded, so it's not just ballet, but that feeling of inspiration, creating that in other people, that was my feeling at five years old when I saw that ballerina. So in essence, then, are you asking the audience to remember what their dreams were before they had to deal with the realities of life, like mortgages and job stresses? Exactly. I say I'm five with 23 years of experience, but I'm still connected to that inner, playful, excited, animated, innocent self before others have told us that, oh, you can't do that and that's not possible. Well, no one's done that before, but that doesn't mean that I could be the first to do it. I still have those dreams. There is this excitement about life, and in my show, it's a play. I like to engage the audience in that play, that we can now play. We can reconnect with our own childhood dreams and not let what other people say, what other put-downs might get along the way, discourage us. Yeah, what's your advice for doing that? It's difficult to do that. Mm. 
when you're faced with sure, outside it, criticism. It takes, faith, it takes guts. You have to learn how to selectively hear those that believe in you and support you with those naysayers. You recently had a performance of Now Leasing here in New York City at the Slipper Room. Are you now on the road yes. with the show? Yes. It was a preview performance, part off, party set off. I'm now in Edinburgh, Scotland, so I'm calling you from the UK. I hope it's coming through clearly. That's a word with my name in it, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> and... Yes, I'm eight days in. I've done eight shows now in a row. It is like the marathon of theater known as the Olympics of Theater, Edinburgh Fringe Festival. But I do have a date when I'll be back in New York City. So October 30th, I'll be back at the Slipper Room for my European tour. All right, Leah. Well... People should mark their calendars. You said October 30th back in New York City, right? October 30th. It's a Wednesday. It'll probably be about an 8 p.m. show. All right. At the Slipper Room. Leah, thank you. Back at the Slipper Room. Leah, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. It's been wonderful talking to you. Fairy tales can come true. It can happen to you. If you're young and Leah McGowan is a performing artist. Her play about childhood dreams is called Now Leasing. She's online at leahmcgowan.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Past episodes of Cityscape are archived online at wfuv.org slash cityscape. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter for show updates. We're listed on both as WFUV Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to senior producer Morlene Chin. Have a great weekend. It's more exciting with each pass.